This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Ryan Carlson, CMO of Okta. On this episode, Ryan talks about bringing customer insights into your organization, storytelling, how to build a team of mentors, analyst relations, and much more. Ryan is an extremely smart and talented marketer, and this is a really great episode. A big thank you to Ryan for coming on the show. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Ryan Carlson. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have in studio, Ryan, what's going on? Not much. How are you, Ian? It's a great day. I am super excited to have you on. We had Freddie, COO of Okta, on Mission Daily a little while back. We've we've had a few Okta guests actually yeah. across the different shows. So, you know, finally having you to talk about marketing, you've had a really interesting career in, in marketing, and Okta is pushing innovation. I'm super excited to get into it. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. And probably not a, a typical story. In undergrad, I studied electrical engineering. And, you know, uh, I'm pretty old. Uh, so back then, Silicon Valley wasn't on the radar where I was going to school. I went to school in Boulder in Colorado. But I, you know, I studied electrical engineering in part because I really liked technology. I liked figuring out how things worked. I like learning about how things worked. And it turns out I also like talking about how things worked. And so when I came out to Silicon Valley, I came out here to work in for semiconductor companies, really, literally the Silicon and Silicon Valley. And the first job that I had at the school was something called a product marketing engineer. Uh, so it's got marketing and engineering in the title because the products that we were talking to our customers about were technical. And so it helped if you could go deep on the technical details. And that was really my first exposure to marketing. And it turns out, you know, I really loved marketing. I got lucky with that first job in that first company, uh, but also learned for me, marketing and technology have to go hand in hand. If I'm not super passionate about the product, if I don't, if I'm not interested in it, the, the marketing I do isn't as, as good as it otherwise could be. So I really got lucky. So flash forward to today. Tell me a little bit about like the scope of your work as CMO of, uh, of Okta. Yeah, Okta is, you know, a, a large but hyper growth enterprise software company. And so we're selling what what our product does to other companies. And the scope of what my team does, you can really break it down into two things. First is we really want to uh, tell the world our story, make the world aware of what we do, how we do it, why what we do is important. And then separate from that, but, but closely related to it, is we need to create demand. We need to find prospects. We need to find the, the companies that aren't yet our customers and pull them into our conversation, put them in front of our sales team, and then help the sales team really turn them into Okta customers. And Okta has truly one of the new the new generation of Silicon Valley stories. You know, Andreessen Horowitz's first investment yeah. was in Okta. You have this like awesome, like, you know, kind of Silicon Valley story. But when you get outside of Silicon Valley, that might not necessarily matter as much to, to new buyers or to people that have found the 
company more recently. I'm curious, like with such a rich history, uh, like how do you how do you talk about it? How does it change as as you look at different like demographics? Yeah, I think you know Octa's been around for ten years. I've I've been very fortunate to have been there for eight of those ten years. And one of the things that you definitely see over that long period of time is the customers that we had early on were, you know, one of the the problems that we solve for them is we make it easy for them to sign into and access and use all of their cloud-based applications. So things like Slack and Zoom now, but it was Yammer before, it's Office 365, it's G Suite. Companies in Silicon Valley 10 years ago were on the cutting edge of using those products. People in the Midwest or even the East Coast weren't using those. So what we learned early on, we can now take to the companies who are now adopting the cloud. And you even see this in Europe and Asia Pacific. They are now looking like companies in Silicon Valley six, seven, eight years ago. So in one respect, it's learning how to talk about our product and technology for companies who have these problems and then retaining that story and that message and using it at the right time for other companies. Not everybody is at the same place in their journey to using cloud apps and new technologies. And so for us, it's a lot of marketing people want to tell a great story, but then they want to change their story, evolve their story. We certainly do that, but we also use the best parts of our story at different times for different companies. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, um, how did you get involved in the first place since uh, it was pretty, pretty early on? Yeah, I am a, a huge fan of Ben Horowitz. I've uh, read everything he's written, uh, including the blog post where he announced his investment and Andreessen Horowitz's investment in Okta. I didn't know what Okta was then. But when the way that Ben wrote about it piqued my interest. And then you started to look at it a little bit more. And I've been involved in a couple different examples of these technology changes that create disruption and opportunities where the previous type of technology or the previous companies couldn't solve the new way of doing things. Yeah. So I saw that in, in a, a semiconductor technology, but clearly, you know, with Okta, the transition from on-premise legacy computing to moving to cloud applications was creating an entirely new way of doing things. And whenever you see that, you know that there's opportunities for new types of companies to be created. So knowing that how what Ben talked about with Okta, uh, seeing that team and knowing what was happening with the cloud, that got me interested. And then I pushed on them and uh, stayed on them for a long time. And then they finally hired me. I love it. We had so we had Mark Cranny in here yep. um, for for Mission Daily talking about what they're building at Signal FX. It was so funny hearing him. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, wait till the next book comes out, then you're gonna hear my side of the story." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, hard things. Hard thing about hard things is just if for our listeners who haven't checked it out, I absolutely highly recommend you go listen to, or read it or listen to it because it really you know encapsulates all of the things that happen in these. Uh, in the technology founder's mind, which you might not know as a CMO, you might not know the things that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis that, you know, they don't even necessarily tell you about. Totally. And those lessons apply to founders, but they, everybody can learn from them. There's probably not a couple of weeks that goes by that I don't take one of Ben's articles and forward it on to somebody because they ran into a situation where what he writes and how he writes about it could help them. You know what I always bring up on this show is his article about distribution. Mm-hmm. That one is so good. I'll link it up in the show notes. I probably mention this every like yeah. 15 or 20 episodes. It's just one of the most perfectly articulated ways of describing a selling process and ultimately a marketing process. Yep. If you were selling a product that the entire company is going to use, you need to sell an entire company on it, which means you need to market an entire company on it. Exactly. If you're selling a product that one person uses and it 
you know, it doesn't affect anyone else, then you can sell it to that one person. And I just think that those type of lessons, you know, are, like you said, are things you need to come back to. I, I think I read it like every couple months because I'm just like, gosh, this is so great. It's totally true. I saw, I, for, I saw a tweet, I think someone said, first time founders focus on product, second time founders focus on distribution. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, it's funny. We, on a recent episode, we were talking with JJ the CMO of Tenable. And she was talking about, we're talking about category creation. She was saying how, you know, the CMO is actually the chief market officer, right? It's like when you step into the role, you're actually, your job is to be the most knowledgeable person on the market because that is the most valuable thing to your your CEO and the board and all those people. Because you need to know where the market is currently and where, where it's going to be. Yeah. Jennifer's, she's uh, really smart and that's a great input and great insight because I do feel like one of the jobs that the marketing team has in general and potentially the CMO in particular, what they have that is not often talked about is you're going inward to your company and you're explaining to them a day in the life of your target customer yeah. in as much depth as the customer themselves would describe, because that makes everybody in your company better. The products you build are going to be better. The way you talk to them is going to be better if you truly understand them and can empathize with them. And I think a lot of people think of marketing as taking a message and sending it outside your company, but they equally have to take knowledge from the market and bring it inside your company. I love that day in the life. That would be a great random survey or anonymized survey to send to your team is like homework assignment. Yeah. Tell me a day in the life of of our customer. Yeah. What do you think they do? How many meetings do you think they have? I think about this all the time with our CIO show. So many of these CIOs and a lot of executives are just mobile all the time. Yeah. Like, they don't even sit down in front of a computer until, you know, 11 o'clock at night or so after they put the kids to bed. And that's one of those those scenarios where like, if you're selling into that market or marketing into that market, and for example, if you're trying to create content for a CIO and they're only going to be on mobile all day yep. and they're never going to be on desktop, um, what type of things are you going to be serving them? Totally. We were just a couple of weeks ago, we were interviewing the C-level executives at five of some of our biggest customers because we have this idea for what we think is a really intriguing and potentially controversial ad campaign. So we want to run, get run it past them because they know us, uh, they know the subject matter. Uh, so we we're asking about the ad campaign, but at the end we asked them all, what do you read? Where do you get your information? Because it's not just what we're going to say in that ad, it's where we're going to put that ad. Absolutely. And you have to know that as well. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think a lot of times how you control that message is really important. I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you think about that? Because with so many things being fed algorithmically yep. now, if it's showing up in your LinkedIn feed, if it's showing up in, in your Twitter feed or Facebook feed, and they're not necessarily going, you know, point to point to a publisher or wherever it is. I'm curious, like, how do you look at being able to position inside of that? I mean, there is this concept of there's paid awareness. You, you paid for the awareness that you get with either an ad or a piece of content. And then there's earned awareness. Uh, the thing that you said was so interesting that it gets shared, that people talk about it. And what we're really trying to do with this this ad campaign is we are trying to be, we're trying to pique people's interest. We're trying to raise a question in their mind that l- literally makes them lean in. When I've talked to some some customers about this, they don't necessarily agree with the concept in the ad campaign, but they always say, tell me more. And so that is difficult because it, sometimes if you want to do something like that, people will look at you know, an example, you send an email out to a lot of your prospects and your your unsubscribe rate is high. Yeah. People say, oh, that's terrible. It could be that, well, look at what your click-through rate and your open rate is. It's it's not a measure of how many people disliked your message. It's a measure of how many people loved your message. And I firmly believe that 
you are not going to come out with something that people love and that they that resonates with them unless you are also willing to maybe turn some people off with that message. If you go for the middle of the road, then it, nobody loves it, nobody hates it. And so I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, we talk a lot about marketing needs to be remarkable, right? Like that's what it's supposed to do. You're supposed to remark about it to somebody else. You're supposed to tell your spouse or your colleague or a loved one or uh, your friend, be like, hey, did you see this? Like, and create a conversation around it. Like that's the point yes. in order to talk about the issues at, at hand. Yeah, take a viewpoint, take a strong viewpoint. One that it can't just be interesting. It can't be controversial for the sake of being controversial. It also has to be authentic and genuine and credible, but it has to be bold. And you, um, if you're not willing to take some risk in doing that, then it's not going to resonate. Let's talk early days at Okta. You had some really interesting things that you did in order to grow and uh, and establish the position. One of those things is is analyst relations. And actually, I should say, Okta was just named a leader in access management for the third year in a row by Gardner. So congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, you've been an industry leader for a long time, but back then you were just a little startup that could, yeah. right? And we don't just have to talk analyst relations, but what were some of those things early on that you looked at coming in and you weren't, you know, officially CMO back then, right? right. Yeah. So, you know, coming in, so what, what role did you start as? Yeah. So I was running product marketing. I built the product marketing function at Okta. Oh, great. Uh, and product marketing for an enterprise B2B software company is really in large part about making sure that the messages that you use to describe your product very simply describe what it is, what problems it solves, why those solutions are valuable, and why you're better able to solve them than anybody else. And you're doing that directly yourself through marketing, but you're also really in, in, a, in an enterprise software company in particular doing that through a sales force. So you're partnering with the sales team uh, to get in there and, and help convey those aspects of your product. And it's interesting in an early stage, I'll come back to your analyst relations question in a second. Yeah. In an early stage company, telling the product story and telling the company story ends up being kind of one and the same. Yeah. You know, you say somebody's founds a new startup or they, they join a new startup, you say, tell me about it. They always tell you about the product. Eventually, as the company grows, if it's successful, you're going to be a multi-product company. And you now have to have a company story that is a kind of an umbrella over all of your product stories. It's a so, great point. My evolution at Okta, my personal evolution at Okta was building up the product marketing function. And as we started to grow and do more and more things, I wanted to, to have a part in telling the company story. So that's how I went from running product marketing to being CMO. So did you go to Freddie and say, hey, you look like John McEnroe. Could I be CMO? Like, what did that, <laughs> what did that look like? Uh, this is a good lesson, too. I actually, you know, we um, it's hard to find a marketing leader. There's this concept called product market fit, which everybody hears about. There's a less, lesser talked about concept but many people have probably heard about called founder market fit. Why are you the right founder for this market? I actually believe there's a CMO company fit aspect as well. The CMO for a company works really well when there's a match there. And in our case, you know, Octave didn't really find the right CMO for a while. We had great people that came, that came in, did great things, but it wasn't the right fit. And me running product marketing, which was under our product organization, I was watching that. And a couple of times I raised my hand and said, hey, I think you guys should let me tell the company story. And a really uh, important lesson that I learned is that when I raised my hand the first couple of times, I did so pretty tentatively, in part because I didn't want to rock the boat. I loved the company. I, I thought the job that I had was really important. Uh, I didn't want to make it seem like I wasn't satisfied. Um, but I became convinced over time that I was the right person to help tell their story. And so the last time I raised my hand and said, you know, Freddie, Todd, you guys should give me a shot. I had a 30-page PowerPoint presentation. I walked through it in depth with them. 
And it's funny, Todd, the CEO and co-founder, when I said, hey, I'll be at your house at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning on a Saturday to walk through this with you. He's like, no, I don't need to. I don't need to see that. I know you. I've been working with you for years. I, I know you. I said, no, you need to you need to see this. And me walking through my vision for not just tactically, here's how I would spend the budget, here's how I'd organize a team, but more the way I talked about how I uh, love the company. I love the story. Loyalty is a big thing for me. I think those things really resonated with him. So uh, I don't talk about that aspect of me becoming CMO at Okta much, but that's the story. No, I love that. I mean, we you know we talk to a lot of marketers that are like stage marketers, especially here in Silicon Valley, where there's yeah. a lot of like startup stages that are extremely important to success. Other, you know, more established public companies don't necessarily have the type of like clear stages of development. We literally have series A, B, C, all those sort of things. So, yeah. um, and there's certain people who love the playbook of going in at a stage and slicing uh, that company in a you know specific point. Hey, they need demand gen. I'll ramp up the demand gen team. Once that's gone, I'll go on to the next totally. company that needs me to ramp demand gen, for example. Yep. But I think that what you're saying is a really good point. Yesterday in our CMO roundtable, we were talking with a few CMOs about this idea that when you try to you know, pitch this idea that you should become CMO internally, that sometimes somebody gets selected over the top of you that's an external person. Yeah. And part of the reason why is because you're in kind of that like, well, you've always been around, but and they always see you how they see you, but yes. not how the future. And that, that's pretty much exactly what you ex just described. You know, it's funny. You, you, there is a tendency, it's a natural tendency, it's an understandable tendency for people to view you as who you are when they first met you. There's this whole concept that people talk about, about a lot right now, growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And there's another aspect, especially when you're hiring in, in general, but when you're hiring executives... It's risky. Every hire is risky. Executive hires are especially risky. And so you can reduce that risk by hiring somebody who's done the job before. I am confident you can do it because I've seen you actually do it. But that, I mean, to me, you fall into a very clear, logical uh, fallacy or trap there. Every great CMO had to be CMO for the first time. And so what I try to do is look when, we, when we're hiring across the team, encourage people to look for people who have done the job before, but weight more heavily their attributes their character, their trajectory. Look for people who are rising. I also, some of the best people I've hired have been product marketers for vastly different products. Yeah, They've demonstrated that not just that they know a specific industry or product very well, but that they can figure out how to talk about successfully different types of products. I would much rather have a diverse experience in that way than somebody who's done that exact job three different times before. Totally. We talk about this idea of the like five, five tool prospect CMO, right? It's like they've done, you know, demand gen, they've done product marketing, they've done brand, they've like been in an agency, they've been at, yes. and you're like, this person is either 95 years old <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever. And also right. if they did all of those things and they did them all for a year and a half, and they never were with a company for a long time, then what does that what say, does that right? Yep. So, I mean, you kind of get this thing and and I think every candidate is going to have warts and it's your job to convince them that like, hey, look past that, look at, at the potential. Was there something that you've seen your peers do that were looked at roles internally for CMO that really helped for them to see, hey, I do have ideas for the future. Like you hired me to do this role. I've been doing this role, you know, as best of my ability, but like, I do have all these other thoughts and ideas. 
Yeah, I mean, so Okta went public two years ago, April 7th, 2017. But who remembers, Who right? remembers, yeah. I don't know why that date sticks out in my mind. And as we were getting ready, you know, we're, we're a really well-run company in a bunch of different ways. One of the, one example of that is that we really prepped ourselves to, to be a, a public company. And we were prepping the executive teams to be uh, C-level executives at a public company. And, you know, many of us, including myself, hadn't done that before. And so the advice that we, we were given and we'd just go find a mentor, find a CMO who's taken a company public before. So I did that. I went out and met, you know, a CMO who'd taken a company public, I learned some things from that person, but then I was, let, let me meet another person. And I did that and I learned some different things from that person. So then I decided instead of finding a single mentor who could tell you what it was like to be a CMO at a public company, I decided to create almost like a super, I call it a superhero composite of a CMO. I call it the gold standard CMO project. I interviewed as many CMOs as I could and took the very part, best parts from each of their experience and tried to mash it together into one composite view. And it really, your your comment about the five tool CMO, you know, it's it's impossible to find somebody who's good at that, which is why I had to create kind of a fake CMO who had all these attributes. And that gets a little bit back to what I mentioned before about the right CMO for the right company. Sometimes demand gen is ultra critical for that company. Sometimes category creation is what they really need. Sometimes it's all about product marketing and sales enablement and differentiation. And so being able to at least know all the 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 best practices across those, what you're good at, what you can bring in for that really helps a ton. Well, and ultimately you need to hire rock stars at those positions anyway. Yes. That's what I always think is so funny is like, do you really want me to be the pro at all of these things, or do you want me to hire the rock star demand gen person? I always think of it like the NFL right now. For those of our listeners who, for our international listeners who are like, who cares about the NFL? But um, there's this idea that it makes no sense to hire a head coach that is a defensive minded head coach anymore because your offensive coordinator is going to get hired away from you, right? right? So you can't you know get hired away if you're the offensive person. So right. it's like this goes back to the market perspective. Yeah. If your role is to be the best person at the market, and then you hire all of the uh, all of the athletes in all of those different functions, yeah, some are going to get hired away over time, obviously, to go be CMOs somewhere. Yeah, but you need to bring rock stars in, anyways. Yep, totally. Yeah, and I I've actually found success in leadership positions in particular of finding people who were a demand gen focused CMO, for example, bringing them in to just to focus on demand gen for us or a brand-focused CMO bringing them in to focus on corporate marketing for us uh, because they have a, a broad view of experience being a CMO, and these are all both at smaller companies, but then they can take their area of expertise and fit it into the overall picture. And one of the best things for me is they understand what a CMO is trying yeah, to get done totally. because they've been one themselves. That's a really good point. And I think for, for some people, you know, the question is like, you know, that non-linear career path where it's like, Hey, to get in there and to see what it's like to be tethered to to Ryan and to sit around and sit in the big shoe CMO position a ton and see what that's like will actually prep them for their next role potentially better than just jumping in sink or swim. Totally. Yep. So back to the AR question. Yeah, I was going to say I skipped that one. No, no, no. That was yeah. great. For for you know, I think many people listening to this would know this, but analyst relations companies like Gartner and Forrester typically, but there are many analysts out there that cover a space will make recommendations and they'll write reports and they'll do comparisons of vendors in, you know, in Gartner's case they call it a magic quadrant, in Forrester's case they call it a wave. And not every prospect or customer cares about what Gartner and Forrester and others have to say, but many of them really do. And so it's something if you're selling, if you're doing B2B SaaS or B2B software enterprise, you have to, you have to be good at this. 
one of the things that we found is that there's a lot of different ways to tackle it. But the biggest piece of advice is I say, get started as early as you can. When we were a couple dozen people and we had a handful of customers, we were pitching Gartner and Forrester on our products. And they, it was hard to get on their radar. They don't want to give us the time of day because we're not even part of a category that they is on their radar. But we still persisted through that. In fact, one analyst at a firm I won't name told me early on in a face-to-face meeting, hey, Okta, your company is going to go to zero. Your business is going to go to zero. You have no chance here. And that firm has since ranked us as the highest rated vendor every year. But we had to endure a couple of years of talking to them without getting much traction. So a piece of advice I, I sometimes give a lot of CMOs of smaller companies is get started now if, if analyst relations is important to you. But there are other things you can do. How you get on an analyst radar is through your own presentations and things like that. But what they really care about is what you know customers say. They call them clients, when clients reach out. So we ask all of our customers to call them and ask about Okta. Wow. And that, you know, that starts to get on their radar and say, well, I, I really need to look at this Okta thing. Everybody keeps talking about it. So you can do small things like that. And, you know, I think some people ha- who have a cynical or skeptical view of analyst relations think that it's pay to play. You know, the more you work with a Gardner or Forrester, if you buy their subscriptions, the better you'll do. That has not been my experience at all. We, you know, we do really well on that in part because we have great products and we articulate to them what we do. But the bigger thing is, we make, if you have customers who use your products and who like it, that is your biggest asset to convince analysts that what you're doing is working. So uh, those are the, some things that we've done and it's really paid off for us in a bunch of different ways. I love that that idea of just asking your customers to do that. Yeah. That's a, that's a great tip. Um, One thing I did that is probably not a good idea, but it was maybe overly aggressive is, you know, you do these briefings. You uh, if you're If you subscribe to them, you get a chance to brief them or you do inquiries with them. Without telling the analysts, I set up a briefing slash inquiry and I brought three of our customers onto the call and just turned it over to them to let them talk about us. And they typically don't want to talk to the clients or customers while the vendor's on the phone, but they sat there and listened for 45 minutes. So I got my point across. That's pretty great. I want to talk about Octane for, for a little bit. We're kind of at the time where people potentially think maybe there's like a lot of conferences or too many conferences or things like that kind of like when people say like i think there's too many podcasts like the actual truth is people are just more in tune with their careers now yeah they're, they're more dialed into the products they buy mm. um and they are more willing to build communities because you can keep a community that you meet in person every year digitally so well now with you know tools like slack and others yeah and i think that yeah again i think this is kind of like the beginning not the end of like this kind of conference culture and because we have such digital experiences now it's even more important to meet in person once a year. Totally. What are some of the you know things that have made Octane a success over the years, or uh, or things that you you know that you really focus on with Octane uh, to create an, an amazing conference? Yeah, Octane is our annual customer conference. We do a lot of other events outside that. Y- your point about with everything digital, there's so many channels that get flooded digitally. Meeting people in person is a tactic that that we have had to employ. It's also you know uh, you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, if everybody at your company is going to use a product like Okta, you have to get to the highest level person you can. Doing that digitally is tough. Doing that with a conference is, uh, I think, a necessity. So that's kind of at a high level, one of the reasons we we started our customer conference called Octane. We've done, I think, nine of them now. And we really have focused on making Octane a very specific example of what we think Okta is in general, our brand. So we, you know, the aspects of 
how people think about and feel about and talk about our company is that we're trustworthy, we're dependable, we are reliable, we are quality. You know, quality is a really important aspect of our brand. And so when we put on Octane, we try to make it the highest quality event that we can. And that's not, that doesn't mean, you know, spending all the money on an incredible venue or uh, guest keynote speakers. I'll talk about those things. What that means is that the fit and finish aspects of the event are all taken care of. We practice things like when Todd, the, the CEO, comes off the stage from his keynote and I come back on, we practice how he hands the clicker to me. Yeah. So that it doesn't look like we haven't taken care of every single detail. That's just one small example. And that is, I think, one of the things that makes Octane unique. It's that kind of approach and that philosophy pervades all of it. It does create another challenge, which every year the co- the team and the company pours their heart and soul into making this happen. And we breathe a huge sigh of relief. And then we say, uh, how are we going to top that next year? Yeah. But we always seem to find a way. What is one of your favorite campaigns that you've ever worked on? One of my favorite campaigns is actually this one that's coming up. The one that I kind of hinted at before. Given that this is a marketing podcast, the campaign won't resonate with many people here who are listening to it. Uh, but there's this, there's this technology called Active Directory. It's from Microsoft. Every company, for, for the most part, you can assume uses Active Directory and has done so for 20 years. And it's like the white pages for your employees <laughs> inside your company. It's yeah. where all your employees' identities are typically stored. And you know, we our product integrates with it and uses Active Directory. But we think Active Directory, it's been around for 20 years and it is ubiquitous, but it is a 20-year-old technology and we think there's a better way to do it. So we're coming out with a, an advertising campaign that really takes a strong stance on Active Directory and how you should rethink it, how it should, the future doesn't have to be like the past was. And that may not sound on its surface like a very interesting ad campaign, but if you're in IT or you're in security and you know about Active Directory, the concept of getting rid of it, of, of migrating away from it, is controversial because many people don't think it's possible. But when they think it's possible, what we have found when we do research and interviews and talk to customers and prospects is they, they think, if that's possible, I really want to do it. Tell me more. And for me, an advertising campaign should get that kind of reaction. Tell me more. If you can do that, it's not to convey everything that your company does, everything that your product does all the way to the end. It's there to get a prospect and a potential customer to raise their hand and say, I want to talk to you. And so I'm really excited about that. I want to kind of keep some of the details under wraps because we are going to launch it in some very unique ways, Um, not just digitally, but we think we can use this topic to create a conversation and get what I call, you know, I referred to before as earned awareness. We think we can create a topic of conversation that ripples through the IT and security community. And for us, we are the leader of what we do. Many people know the name Okta, but many people don't. And what we really want to do with this ad campaign is get people who don't know the name Okta to come and ask uh, for a conversation with us. I love that. You must unlearn what you have learned. Yes, right? exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that there's things like that where, you know, we had uh, we had an episode about where someone was talking about SharePoint and they're just like, for the love of, you know, whatever, <laughs> can someone just like, you know, kill this thing? Yeah. Um, but it's like a similar sort of idea, right? Where there's just certain legacy things that, you know, are just a huge thorn in, in whether it's an IT professional or, or whoever in their side that, if you can just allude to the fact that there could be a better way, totally, that you are gonna you're gonna have some ears perk up. And you know, for us, I think I agree with all you said. For us, it's there's another nuanced aspect to a decision like this, which is we're not the the upstart startup company who are who's going after a legacy company. We are the leader of what we do. 
people who know us, we're un, we're the undisputed category creator for cloud-based identity, uh, what we call the Okta Identity Cloud. We have created a category. So it's it's somewhat, you would go against typical marketing practices said, as the leader, you never talk about your competition. And we follow that completely. Sure. And in this case, we don't think this violates that because we're not going after a competitor. We're going after a different way of doing things, an older way of doing things, a different mindset. Uh, there's a lot of technical aspects of Active Directory that could be made better, but there's also a lot of business practices, lock-in, kind of obscure licensing practices that many companies are kind of fed up with. And so we feel like for us, as the category creator and the leader, we still feel safe talking about this as almost a, a be- we are a better way of doing things, not just technically, but from a business standpoint. And I think that that type of nuance is really is really fascinating because you know you take a rule like a you know a, a quote unquote rule uh, of category creation and say like hey are we violating this yes or right. no like how how can we think about this and really put a lot of thought into well you know we're the leader of this category that we created how do we address things without necessarily you know bringing attention to to folks that are lower down on the totem pole yep what about a campaign that might have been your best uh, learning experience or your least favorite campaign. I wouldn't say it's my least favorite. This is actually counterintuitively one of the one of the things that we've done at Okta that I'm most proud of that probably we shouldn't have done in hindsight. Oh, that's so, a good one. All right. So, you know, Okta's product is around identity management where we're securing and protecting the identities of your workers, of your partners, of your customers. So identity is the term identity is core to all that we do. And we've used that as a way to tell our story in bigger and more impactful and in sometimes more emotional ways. We don't talk about identity management as a product, we created a video one time that talks about the history of identity from the first handprint on a cave painting in France all the way through to digital identity. Try to make it more human, more personal. And that's been very effective for us. Talking about identity in a personal way, in an emotional way, is very compelling. And one of the ways in which we tried to do that was we created a magazine. We called it You Magazine. And the, we worked with a really uh, amazing company called Epic Digital. Uh, oh, yeah, long, I know that. Longtime Octa partner. Yeah really make amazing stuff amazing stuff really creative they call what they do story hunting so a lot all the content in you magazine was original content they went out and found stories very personal stories and when we pulled and it was really a work of passion on people on on the octa side on the epic side you know i have one of the first copies of the magazine at home on my desk and i I love it um so i'm very proud of the what we did and what we pulled off but the reason i say it was a mistake is because it was risky because it's not directly tied to our product and what we do. Because some of the stories were very unique and very passionate and very personal, some people didn't like some of those stories. Mm. Um, you know, And in hindsight, even though I'm really proud of what we did, it, that was probably too far afield from connecting that marketing tactic and that marketing message back to our business. And so we have not shied away from using identity and the personal side of that to tell these emotional stories. But that particular example of it is one that we... Like I said, I'm super proud that we did it, but probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great experiment though. I mean, I think that things like that, that could be extremely high leverage opportunities. Like, you know, you learn and you go on, like what a great learning experience. Also just like the process of going through that and making something like a magazine, which, you know, for some people is how they still get their information for other people feels archaic, right? Like thinking about the utilities and how people would use it and going, magazines were, uh, and still are extremely powerful yeah. for a lot of people. So, you know, thinking through that, I think it also harkens back to something that is 
where you might be in a particular bubble of how you see things is not always how the world sees things. Totally. And when you do something like that and use a point of view and you do do the kind of story hunting technique, you get to learn about some things that you might not know. And when you get feedback from that, it's like, hey, this, you know, now we kind of like know our left and right limit on, uh, you know, potential content things. Totally. Yeah, I think, you know, as you're talking about, it, it reminded me of a different campaign that we also worked on with the Epic team that was one that we would do again. Uh, we wanted to go off and find individual profiles of people who are in IT and security who had amazingly interesting identities outside of work. Yeah. So there was an IT administrator here in the Bay Area who on weekends was an amateur professional wrestler. Oh, wow. And I never even, I didn't know there was such a thing as amateur professional wrestling, but the the video in which we told the story was about what he does in his day job, but also how he, he is a wrestler at night. We did a profile of a woman who's, uh, who's an executive in security and an expert in security, but she's also the world, like the world's only female bodybuilder to win three different championships across Whoa. three different types of bodybuilding. And her story, they call her, that story is called The Boss. It's just very compelling because that one definitely got to the personal side of these stories and used identity in that way, but tied it directly back to people who in their day jobs were using Okta to keep their company secure, to run their IT, things like that. You also did an incredible a uh, series called Zero to IPO, which yes. we talked about with Freddie. And for our listeners yeah. who don't know, and obviously our listeners love podcasts, go check it out. It's extremely well done. The first episode with Mark Andreessen is like off the charts, nope. just beyond fascinating. Uh, the rest of the show is awesome too, but you know, you're hooked as soon as you listen to that first one. So I promise. It's right. And it's like, it's only, it's less than 10 hours total. Yeah. I think it's nine episodes, 10 yeah. episodes, yeah. 10 episodes. But yeah. I think, I mean, you can, you'll, you'll breeze through it pretty yep. quick. We'll link it up in the show notes. Yeah. To, uh, just, I guess like quick, you know, quick, why, why do why you do, do that? Why do you want to do that? Yeah. I mean, Freddie is passionate about the fact, like if you look at a company like Okta from the outside, it looks like from the founding, you know, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz wrote the first check into Okta. And then we went public, you know, eight years later. Uh, and it's up and to the right. It's everything was great. It was easy. You know, that's just how it Storybook, works. Storybook, right? Storybook. Yeah. Um, and from the outside, it does look like that. But from, you know, certainly Freddie's perspective that inside and, you know, many of us have seen it, it's really hard. And there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that you don't know about. So he's passionate just about letting people know that and about helping people learn what it's really like. And so we we always, in looking for ways to be interesting and telling our company stories, we want to tell stories that our founders are passionate about. And that is one that we knew was compelling. We knew that there was a lot that he could tell, but we also knew there's a lot of people we could pull into that. So it's Mark Andreessen, it's Ben Horowitz, it's Neil Boosry. We got Andre Iguodala mm -hmm. from the Golden State Warriors, all to come in and talk about different aspects of taking an idea and going through the pain and and hard work to take it all the way to an IPO. So that's why I wanted to do it. You could argue that that one is, that's content marketing, you could say, you know, interesting content about Okta, but it's not really related to our product. It's not really related to our customers, but we've gotten so many examples of great feedback from our customers, uh, from investors, from people who didn't necessarily know about Okta, but heard about Okta through that. And so that's one of the reasons we did it as well. And I would say it's, it's one of the things about category creation that's actually really important is like part of the idea of creating a category is creating like this legacy that you're the team to solve the problem. And when you get into the nuts and bolts of how it was created, like you're invested. Like yeah. when I listen to this series, I'm like, and I've interviewed Freddie and yeah. interviewed, you know, Octa executives and everything. And like, you feel part of the story. Totally. Like makes you feel, personal. yeah, it makes it super personal. Yeah. And I think that that sort of stuff to like know, to not 
see a company as just like a company to see that it's this collection of people that tried really hard to, you know, solve this problem for their customers, I think is super important. Yeah. yeah you've talked about category creation a couple of times. I mentioned it too. I should, I should know I'm a category creation skeptic. Oh, all right. Why is that? Well, I think, I mean, I actually think if you can create a category and Okta has done that, it's incredibly powerful. If you've done that, then you're successful. You're kind of one and the same. But I think because of that, many people early on in a company or product's life cycle think to themselves, I need to create a category. And I think they put too many, they put the cart before the horse in a lot of different ways. The way you create a category is to be the very best at what you do and to get as more customers in your competition faster than they do. And then if you do that, you will have created a category. But if you create a category, you don't necessarily get all the customers in the early days. So I think sometimes, you know, I, I've start, I talk with a lot of early stage companies about marketing and what did we do that, that they should emulate or what advice would I give? And a lot of them come, you know, there'll be a series A company with 15 people and say, help me create a category. And I said, you should, you should wait. What you should do is win customers, make them successful, make them talk about you, uh, build the best product. You need to think about category creation, but category creation shouldn't be the goal in and of itself early on. One of the great pieces of advice, and this wasn't from a marketer, this was from a product guy, Gibson Biddle, the former VP of product at Netflix. He was saying that they would think in five-year increments. Yeah. And like, I love that idea because if you frame yourself as a startup and thinking of five-year increments, it becomes manageable. It's like in the first five years, they wanted to be the best at DVD delivery. And then it was like the next five years, they wanted to have the best... Uh, streaming platform. And then the next one after that was they wanted to be the best original content, yes. right? Like that is like, you want to talk about category creation, right? It's like each of those are separate categories totally. that they went and won. But, you know, they couldn't have said like, hey, let's be the best at uh, original content at year two, because yeah. then they would have floundered. They would have spent all the money and failed. Totally. I think that that is a great way to look at it because there's this concept in decision-making that there's a couple different tricks you can use to make decisions better. One of them is called People do a post-mortem to see what went wrong, but doing a pre-mortem on an important decision helps you figure out how could this go wrong. But I think another example of that is time traveling. Go forward five years in the future and describe your company. Yeah. So like when we think about our brand, we think about our company's reputation, we'll sometimes say, describe it in five years. Travel forward in, in time five years, describe Okta as a way to put yourself in a different mindset. How do we want to get there? And I think a five-year increment is a great, great way to do that. And I would add to that too, that like, what is your, what do your customers say in five years? Yeah. Like, what is their experience like? And like, if you're thinking about things in that time horizon, we just had an episode where we were talking about Mark Benioff and how all of his bets were all about, oh, they're going to be customers for 10 years, right? right? So it's like, if you have that mindset and you're fulfilling those promises, yes. it changes the entire equation, right? And obviously in SaaS, it truly changes the equation. Yep. A little different if you're in, in a, selling a different type of product. But when you're thinking about like, what do our customers say about us when they've been a customer for five years, for 10 years? Yeah. Do you have any early customers that are that are still customers? Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the customers, you know, when I joined, I think there were four or five customers. And I think I think three of the five are still customers, but the, it's only because the other two went out of business. That's so, crazy. You know, a very, very early customer for us was LinkedIn. Oh, wow. And LinkedIn, you know, hyper growth company in terms of employee growth. And so they really, we helped them in a lot of different ways. Uh, and there was a champion there. His name is Chris, Chris Niggle. He became actually the octoperson within LinkedIn. And he was a very passionate reference for us, advocate for us. And then he joined us and now he's our head of compliance and security and has been a key part of the of the leadership team at Octa for several years as well. Shout out to Chris. Yeah, Chris is great. Okay, let's get in the lightning round. Yeah. These questions are fast and easy, just like 
B2B marketing with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Lightning round questions. Ryan, are you ready? Uh, I think I'm ready. You better be. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Oh, the most fun? For me, it's probably caviar because it brings food right to me. That's great. <laughs> Favorite thing to cook or eat? Oh, no doubt. I love to uh, grill. and I love to grill ribeyes over uh, lump charcoal. It's got to be lump charcoal. Mm. None, of, none of those briquettes for, the, for cooking a good ribeye. What is your favorite vacation spot? My favorite vacation spot? I was going to say New Zealand because I've gone there several times uh, when I was much younger to go fly fishing. But I have to say now Tahoe because I have two young kids who I, who I take up there and go skiing with me. So it's got to be Tahoe now. You like fly fishing? I love fly fishing. Me too. It's just the best. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? Uh, the hidden talent that I have is, I'll bring this back to my young kids. I am, I think I might be the best person in the world at guessing the age of young kids. So I'll see <laughs> another kid at breakfast and I'll say, that kid is 14 and a half months years old and I'm deadly accurate. I don't know if that's an actual valuable skill, but it's definitely different. What book or podcast have you uh, read or listened to recently? The most recent podcast that I read, I, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell became super popular. There's a Malcolm Gladwell backlash, apparently. Yeah. I still love Malcolm Gladwell. He spoke at Octane one year. Yeah. Can I give you a long answer to this like, hey, Malcolm, Malcolom Gladwell story? Lightning it up. Malcolm Gladwell, he he spoke at Octane one year, and the theme of our of Octane, our customer conference that year, was about like how you change. How do you change your company? How do you move your company forward? So when we meet him in advance, super humble guy. I got to meet him backstage, talk to him a little bit, and I said, Here's what we're doing at our conference. You speak about whatever you want. He's like, I got it. I got it. And then he comes out on stage and he's got a bunch of papers in his hand, what, what he's going to say. He's got, and they're rolled up. He's like, I have some, I have these papers here because I'm going to refer to some detailed notes. And then he talks for 45 minutes uninterrupted, never once looked at his papers. I realized after the fact they were a prop, but his talk was so incredibly relevant to the concept of change. He talked about a, how do you create a mindset for change? And it, he gave like three different examples from his research about people, individuals who are great, had a mindset for change, a growth mindset. And so I'm consuming every, back to your question, I'm consuming everything Malcolm Gladwell and I just finished his latest uh, season of Revisionist History. It's really good. I just think that, and you know, part of the backlash to stuff like that is like, like I listened to the episode of Revisionist History on like golf courses. Yes. And it's like, yeah, I love golf. I think it's awesome. I think like it's beautiful. It's like, you can be on both sides of right. the issue, like right. The, what he's so good at is like making us think about things. You can kind of like love him or hate him or take it or leave it, especially in a world where journalism is quickly devolving or totally. dissolving around us. Yes, it's like it's important to have people that make us you know, question certain things or question status quos, and like that's what's so cool, right? And like yes. we can't like throw tomatoes at the people because you know he's like golf course is actually you know probably detract a lot from, you know, the like public, uh, public, you know, whatever. But <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, a lot of golfers are going to get mad. I was like, eh, you know, like I don't super agree with all yeah. that. But at the same time, like there's a lot of good points in there. So changed your viewpoint. It made you open your mind and think of it in a different way. Exactly. Um, and I just always think he's so articulate in the way that he does those things. And like nobody's perfect. Like we can't expect every single, you yeah. know, person who has actual viewpoints on stuff. Back to your earlier point, like, you know, he has a viewpoint on things and, and that's exciting. Yep. 
Okay, what is your best advice for a first-time CMO? The advice that I give to many people, demand gen is something that's super critical to hypergrowth companies. If you're not setting up the sales team for success by generating pipeline and generating opportunities for them, you won't last long. And I think if you don't come from a demand gen background, um, you certainly need to bring a, a leader in who can help you. And I've, I've done that at Okta. But one of the things I also did is I dug into the details to be able to understand demand gen practices and tactics from what I call first principles. Being able to describe something from first principles means you really understand at the ground level, at the start, how it, it works. And that is something that I'm surprised by how many people don't can't describe from first principles all the different things you do in demand gen. I'd say that it applies across all all disciplines within marketing, but in demand gen in particular. Let's we should do that episode. That'll be when you come back. We'll do principles of demand gen. That would be a killer episode. Multi-touch attribution, lead scoring, firmographic behavioral, all that kind of stuff. Conversion rates, QLs, SQLs, MQLs. I mean, I'm probably just put all your listeners to sleep right there, but no, that, no, there's no. a lot there. I'm sure they're perking up. Speaking of lead scoring, that's why we got part out. That's why it's a part out lightning round. Um, get some help there. Uh okay. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I think that I also saw this in a tweet somewhere. Maybe it was, yeah, it was a tweet somewhere. Like anytime there's a, a channel or a tactic that works in marketing and has a higher than average conversion rate or ROI, marketers just flood it. And then it just becomes arbitraged out and then all the benefit goes away. And I feel like that that cycle of something finding something that works putting everything behind it, and then it, the effectiveness goes down, is accelerating. It's harder and harder to find things that work sustainably for a longer period of time. And so I feel like the things that win out in that are authenticity, things that are credible, things that are genuine, a story, and then content around it that really resonates. And so, you know, one of the things I have been at Octo for a really long time, but I am incredibly optimistic and passionate about the future of Octo because our story is one that it doesn't require us to use any specific tactic to tell it. It is a very compelling story in its own right. It's very credible and it's genuine. And so I think the future of content marketing is not the future of marketing, but the and people have been using content marketing in a lot of different ways for a long time. But I feel Hundred, like- Literally hundreds of years. Yes, exactly. I feel like genuine stories that are credible that fit the, the market you're going after is the future. And you kind of see this in this direct to consumer uh, business trend. Come out with a product. You don't have to go through retail or distribution. You go to right to the consumer. And maybe you don't reach every consumer, but you reach the ones that will buy your product in enough volume where you can make a great business from. And you see that in DTC a ton. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? That's a good one. Um, I would probably say the the one, I think this is Peter Thiel, I may be wrong, but the, he asked, what's one thing that you believe that nobody else does? Yeah, what is one thing you believe? Well, I didn't want you to ask me of that of me now. Maybe we, we could tease it for next that next time you come back on the show, you'll have an answer for everybody. Yeah, I do have a, I do have a good answer to that question, but it's, it's political and I'll keep that off the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ryan, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. So excited to follow along with, with Okta and everything and uh, we'll have you back soon. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, I appreciate it. I think what you guys do here is really great. I uh, uh, can't wait to see how this one turns out. And uh, thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more 
by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.